It is uh, the day after the election. I know we all had a busy night uh, paying rapt attention to all of the uh, elections, both in the city and across the country. And I wanted to bring in somebody who knows the law, who knows government, to help me out so we can all figure out what's going on here in Illinois and across the, the nation. Xavier Pope is here. He's the host of the Suit Up podcast. He is a sports legal analyst and an award-winning sports and entertainment attorney. Welcome to the show, sir. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Uh, Did you have a a raucous election day? It was an interesting day. Um, Were you nervous at the beginning of the day? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm perpetually kind of anxious, but, like, I was actually, like, you know, you... After 2016, I think a lot of us have just stayed nervous. There was a sketch on SNL this weekend of, of that kind of conveyed this this wide-eyed anxiety yeah. that I think a lot of people in the country had. Um, and it, it wasn't just for me as, an, as like a Chicagoan or an Illinoisan or even a Midwesterner. Just I had my eye across the board and uh, it got interesting. For sure. Yeah, it, it got interesting. And then I think that we were at a flashpoint, and we still are as of the next day of this 2018 midterms that saw over 113 million people vote. Yeah, huge uh, numbers. That the 2014, there that, that was the worst turnout in 70 years. Yeah. So to have this significant increase of almost 40 more million people voting than the previous midterm is is exceptional. Mm-hmm. And I know we've been, there's been this tenor of this country of being more of less democratic, but I felt this was the most democratic election that we've been a part of in quite some time in terms of the entire population being engaged. And this doesn't speak from a liberal perspective or conservative perspective or in, independent perspective. Everyone in the country seemed to be more engaged in this election than previous years. Absolutely. And uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, Young people coming out to vote Mm -hmm. in record numbers. Uh, Lots of first-time voters this time around. Uh, Susie Ahn and and the rest of the news crew across the hall were keeping an eye on on some, uh, you know, voter shenanigans that may have been going on. And as, as, you know, as many as may have happened in Illinois, we weren't even scratching the surface of voter suppression in this country, but let's start. Uh, let's start here with our governor race. Uh, we got uh, we got a new guy, yeah, uh, new uh, billionaire to be more precise. Uh, about one hundred and seventy one point five million dollars were spent by J.B. Pritzker to uh, campaign for his new job, and Bruce Rauner spent about the same amount of money to be unemployed. I guess. It ain't tricking if you got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, with 97.6% of precincts reporting as of this morning, J.B. Pritzker will be the new governor of Illinois with 53.9% of the vote. That's uh, 2.3 million Illinoisans cast their vote for him. Sam McMahon uh, and Cash Jackson, the two, uh, I think it was the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, mm-hmm. or the Conservative Party and the Libertarian Party, uh, taking about 7% of a vote collectively. But, uh, yeah, Round, or Pritzker got about twice the vote that Rauner did. What does that mean for us here in Illinois? What it says is that the state roundly rejected Bruce Rauner as governor of the state of Illinois. Yeah. He was a significant failure in the state, as 
his successor was, and he was attached to the failures of his successor. Quinn before him was, a, a, as a governor, that put the state in a lot of debt, and there was issues with the budget. Mm-hmm. And so as a businessman, Bruce Rauner was supposed to come in and use his expertise at, that he had in business to give him all of the money that he does yeah, have that and was, he spent. That was his that whole was, thing. That yeah. was his whole stick. That was how he won that election. Yeah. He was not able to do that basic function. And so when you're not able to do that one thing, the budget is one of the most important things you could ever have as a as a political running of, of a, a particular state, a municipality, whatever it may be, but particularly a governor. And he was not able to do that. No. That was it. No. So One job, dude. One job. You didn't do it. Yeah. But on his tombstone, it'll read, it was Mike Madigan's fault. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of blame getting thrown around in this governor race, almost as much as there was money getting thrown around. Uh, so J.B. Pritzker, also a, a successful businessman, yeah. did not shy away from from that part of his CV, but also uh, ran with some, uh, I wouldn't say progressive talking points, but definitely more liberal than Bruce Rauner. J.B. says... Uh, that we're gonna be Michigan soon. That we're gonna get everybody's just gonna get weed forever. It's gonna <laughs> raise the minimum wage. And Turn you can up. Spend your money on weed. <laughs> uh, do we think that JB is gonna keep these promises? I do think that he can. I think that he is someone who has done a lot for the state and the city of Chicago through his philanthropic work. And I think that that's what made him an attractive candidate is that he had a track record in terms of public service that backed the ideas that he had, not just in the standpoint of how to make sure that the city continues to be connected to its business community of city of Chicago, downstate, working different things down there. He's able to been able to been able to show that. Uh, and I think look at what's happened in other states around Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets legalized weed here yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah, so it's getting closer and closer to us. And so it's becoming more and more of a reality in this country that everyone's smoking weed. Might as well make it legal. Yeah. Uh, he's got some scandals that he'll have to uh, distract from. But I mean, if you're governor of Illinois, you, that's your thing. <laughs> right. <your> thing. <laughs> I mean, look at the last few governors that we've had. They've been attached to different scandals. In relation to those individuals, J.B. Prescott's pretty coming in, skating in. So <laughs> Xavier Pope here with me. We're talking election results. We also have a new attorney general, Lisa Madigan, uh, deciding not to run for re-election. And uh, three folks threw their hat in the ring. Bar- uh, Bubba, there was a, a literal guy named Bubba, Bubba. Uh, the, the libertarian. Erica Harrell, the Republican, and Kwame Raul turning up the winner with about 2.3 million votes. His own self, about 54% of the electorate, uh, saying that uh, this is the man that they would like to be in charge of, among other things, police reform in the city of Chicago. Very important. It is very important. Uh, do we believe that Kwame Raul is going to make that a top priority and how will that change how policing goes here in Chicago going forward? Well, I think as a as a man of color and public service that President Obama got behind to endorse him, I think he owes a responsibility to those that elected him to fulfill his duties and promises. Uh, and what the issue is, is, is plain as day, it relates to the communities of color. And he is a person of color who's taken that role and says that I am going to do this. We have to hold him at his word. Mm-hmm. That's the job. We're in a democratic republic. We freely elected him to represent us, believing that he would come through on the promise. And that's why he was elected. And so we have to hold him up to that standard. Uh, we've got uh, some other races here that uh, 
got pretty interesting last night. Susanna Mendoza was reelected to a second term as Illinois Comptroller, uh, which is going to be uh, interesting for her because I think she's running for mayor now as well. Well, you can still hold that spot and still run. That's true. A, a, a throw at the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to everyone in Chicago, the mayor's race, right? Yeah. There are, there are probably more people in the Chicago mayor's race than the Chicago Marathon. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but uh, you're not that wrong. We have a dozen folks right now, uh, the, the and it's still not the, the deadline. Uh, anybody. Could, I mean, could, anyone. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you're, hey, everyone listening, you watching, if you want to get into the mayor's race, go ahead. It does not come with a free bucket of chicken. It's just, you can just go, it's free. Just go ahead. It. And just do it. <laughs> just get those signatures. Just get those signatures. Get it. I want to talk about uh, Lauren Underwood. She has unseated four term Republican Representative Randy Hultgren, becoming the first minority and the first woman to represent a Chicago area district that was once held by Dennis Hastert. She's a nurse. She's from Naperville. She is a black woman. Yes. And uh, she has used the historical nature of her win in her acceptance speech, uh, recalling that uh, Shirley Chisholm, the first African-American woman in Congress, was elected 50 years and one day prior. Yes. I'm given. This is the fist. The the fist up in the air. And and. She wasn't someone that came from any political establishment or any type of machine. This is a woman who saw her in her role working in healthcare, saw the issues, decided to address the issues, mm-hmm. hit the ground, and won the seat. And so when people talk about, there's a lot of people, there was a lot of discussion about not voting. And you know, I've, and rightly so, especially people of color, criticizing people who say I'm not going to vote for the simple purpose is uh, it doesn't matter who's in office and the system is rigged. Uh, and the, 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 the clap back at that is, OK, why don't you run for office? Yeah. We saw at this election 31 new women in Congress, the most women in Congress ever, uh, the youngest woman ever to serve in Congress ever. The youngest member period in Congress ever. Mm-hmm. For, first in so many different states. So if you want to get involved, and go, don't go online. Don't post a meme or anything like that. Don't discourage the family and friends not to vote. Vote. Yeah. And, and, that, and we saw that. Or if you're not going to vote, get into the ring your darn self. Yeah. Start your own election campaign. We saw that with, the, uh, with this wonderful woman who won this office and put her sweat and tears into it. And so congratulations to her. Congratulations to her. I decided to vote because it's my responsibility. Because that is the way we make change in a democracy. To honor those who have fought and died for the right to vote. I decided to vote today because I can. This election is really about the character of our country. Voting is our greatest privilege as well as our greatest responsibility. I feel empowered to vote and I feel ready to be part of a change and a difference in my country. Just some of the voices of some of the voters here in Chicago uh, who decided to cast their vote in record numbers. Uh, I've got Xavier Pope here with me. I'm Jill Hopkins. We're talking about the election. Illinois, uh, as close to a blue wave as one could have anticipated in uh, the United States. Uh, there's a lot going on all over the country, though. Let's uh, take a look at, at that. First, though, I want to say, wowie wow. I did not expect this. 
Did you know it was 28 years since Cook County Judge uh, Cook County Judge has been voted out of office? I did not realize. Yes. I did not realize that. But Cook uh, Circuit Court Judge Matthew Codlin broke that streak on Tuesday with 52% affirmative votes with 79% of precincts reporting, well shy of the 60% yes votes needed for Cook County judges to keep their seats. Uh, his background was spearheaded by reports from Injustice Watch, which is an online news outlet that were published by the Sun-Times and fueled calls from progressive organizations and lawyer groups to oust the 18-year incumbent. Uh, I had heard from folks about this guy uh, because uh, there were two men that were exonerated after 23 years in custody that sued him, uh, alleging that while he was a prosecutor, that he helped frame them for murder. And that was wild that he still got to sit on the bench after all of that. Yeah. Uh, d- had you been following this race at all? Yeah, I'd been I've been following a lot of it because every lawyer that I know, mm-hmm. every time I would have a conversation with them about the election, one of the first things they would bring up is Noah on Coughlin. Mm-hmm. And so to have a historical marker of this of a particular judge is significant because most people go to their ballots. They look at all the different names. There's so many names. Either They, they either make one or two decisions, Jill. Mm-hmm. Either they click yes on everyone uh, and and just, hey, well, I don't know who's going and, and, to. Or they decide not to even cast a ballot at all for uh, retention for a particular judge. And so that's why judges are able to stay on the ballot. Yeah. But this particular individual, there were there's the only judge I can remember where there was active campaigns and stickers and a a movement to get him out of office and so take more exploration of him as a judge and then when we looked and examined who he was and the things that he's done on the bench and before he got on the bench showed that he was appalling and definitely was not representative of someone who should be sitting on the bench in this state and that's why he was kicked out yeah I uh my polling place yesterday was packed to the gills. It wasn't a very large room where where polls uh, where the elections were. Uh but it was packed for good reason. There was a lot of people there and people were actually taking their time. I've never seen people look so thoroughly at a two-page ballot as they did yesterday. So I, I think uh, the I mean obviously it worked. The campaign worked. People were definitely searching down the line for yeses and nos in a way that they hadn't done before. Xavier Pope is here. Let's get on a plane go down south to Florida uh, so we can comfort Andrew Gillum, who lost by, like, the sliverest of slivers for his uh, gubernatorial race in Florida to Ron DeSantis. is 49.7% to 49%. And uh, that is just razor sharp. Uh, you were you were saying earlier that you took this one personally. Yeah, Jill. Um, this election started out with Ron DeSantis referring to a black man, educated, HBCU, uh, a monkey, and it only got worse after. That. It only got worse after that. Exactly. Even with the with the ads that were run by him, and even in their debates. Andrew Gillum mopped the floor with Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. And DeSantis looked disheveled. He looked nervous. He looked not confident. It was clear from the way they presented themselves. Andrew Gillum, he was a classy, 
poise, respectful even of his candidate, no matter what he said to him, mm-hmm. even though in even in pointing out his truth and to see how he was treated and still after all of that to not win and by and to lose by the slimmest of margins mm-hmm. hurt me as a black man, hurt me as a person of color because we have to be twice as good and then get half as much. Uh, and, and, and in 2007, 2018, you should not be able to win an election if you call your candidate a racial slur. Is this shit not? And so what Andrew Gillum meant to African-Americans was someone who was authentically black all while being competent, that black excellence we speak of. Mm-hmm. And we had some pride behind his candidacy because he was someone that you could get behind. He was about to do this thing for the culture. First black governor in the history of Florida, Mm -hmm. a state that has so many issues in terms of race where Trayvon Martin was killed and it led to the Black Lives Matter movement and all the different things that happened with bringing accountability to uh, the, the, the issues of the day. And to see Andrew and he was in office handling multiple crises. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a hurricane, uh, the, a, a hate shooting, and he handled it with grace and dignity. And to lose, hurt. And and the way he lost, hurt. It's I, and it, it, okay. Talk about Medicaid for Medicare for all and all of those different policies he had that were progressive, and that were being really the the the, the voters of that state were comfortable with those issues. Mm-hmm. So if they were comfortable with those issues and the polling showed in the last days that where he was and he then an election, he gets outpaced by by Amendment 4 in that state that gave uh, felons the right to vote back, which is great for that particular state. It's interesting that that passed mm-hmm. and he doesn't get elected. Yeah. It's, it's baffling of the mind and definitely believe that there was some Bradley effect happening in that state. And that's what disgusts us, because as a perception of him winning the opposite of that is a perception of him losing the way that he lost. And so that it's okay to speak like that. Yeah. And that's okay to, to win an election. And that's where, why it really, really hurts in the depths of my soul. I, uh, I'd have to, uh, share some of that sentiment in the state of Georgia yeah. with the, uh, Stacey Abrams. the Stacey Abrams, Democratic candidate, Stacey Abrams, uh, and Republican candidate, Brian Kemp, uh, for just from an ethical standpoint, yeah. Uh, how is the Secretary of State allowed to run the election that he is participating in? Absolutely. But if we're talking about racism and we're talking about voter suppression, we need to look no further no than further. this particular race. Uh, but Stacey Abrams, not going out like that. She ain't going out. She is refusing to concede the governor's race, uh, arguing that the high-stakes contest is too close to call with the possibility of a runoff next month. So uh, her speech last night, people were like, ooh, here comes the concession speech. And she said, no, here comes the hot stepper. (laughs) (laughs) I am not uh, going to tell you that your votes did not matter. She says, I'm here tonight to tell you votes remain to be counted. There were so many votes that Brian Kemp just threw out without provision. Uh, And if I were her, I think I would do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The... You want to be able to fight it as much as possible. Unfortunately, in our modern democracy, we hate a loser. 
And once someone's declared the winner, we have a tough time reversing those results. We see this, seeing this with the 2016 presidential election, the 2000 presidential election. It's just there's this perception of have someone having won, no matter how they won it, that we, as a democracy, need to address. If it's if if something's off, we need to be able to fix that as a democracy. So I'm hoping that Stacey Abrams is under able to uncover something and dig a little bit deeper but it's clear the chicanery in the election is mm. the the filing the investigation just before the uh, just before the election as well just shows that this election didn't doesn't seem like it was fought fair yeah it does it certainly does not seem to have been a, a fairly fought contest uh on sunday the, the investigation that you're speaking of uh, uh kemp's office opened an investigation into the democratic party in georgia for what it says was an attempted hack of the state's voter registration system but he had no proof no proof uh democrats flatly deny that uh allegation and then on tuesday a lawsuit was filed in a federal court by five state voters who asked a judge to strip Kemp of his powers over the midterm election, including any potential runoffs. To me, that seems like such a no-brainer, yeah. conflict of interest. Absolutely. Uh, but apparently, that's just allowed. Can you imagine Jesse White trying? <laughs> well, first, <laughs> yeah, Jesse White is getting rubber stamped through. I mean, he's, his face should, maybe should be on the seal of Secretary of State. Um, but... Yeah, I, I just think it just it stinks to high heaven. I mean, yeah. it, it it doesn't feel right, and it would be different if there was nothing that came out of his office. Yeah. Unfortunately, he ran an unclean and a dirty campaign, and took multiple steps to show that he was not qualified to be the Secretary of State. Just period. He, yeah. He's not even qualified for governor. Forget about governor. He's not even qualified for his office that he's whole currently was holding before he he won so uh it, it just it just it just feels bad so i feel there's a lot of wins in this election mm -hmm. and i really feel like a lot of african americans can probably agree with me it's like you know you feel these oh like this is great this is great but like, something just doesn't feel right yeah about you know it's something like uh, mm. like, uh yeah oh. you know I, that's something mm, it's off yeah and so and yeah so it doesn't feel complete uh, I'm I'm not saying that there was an expectation that everything was going to work out. Beto O'Rourke was going to win, yeah. and Gillum was going to win, and and Abrams was going to win, and then the House would flip, and the Senate would flip. That's the that was the best of both worlds because it would have projected to this country that bigotry, intolerance, corruption, uh, and divisiveness would not be tolerated in this country. With this mixed bag of an election, whether it was just the House, even though the Senate was not necessarily expected, but there mm -hmm. was so much hope behind that that the Republicans gained seats uh, in the in Congress, and to have two, three really prominent losses in terms of O'Rourke and Abrams and Gillum, it didn't feel necessarily complete, and that's probably why mm -hmm. this this president wants to project some sort of big victory. Because Oprah going to campaign with Stacey Abrams, all the LeBron James being with Beto O'Rourke and all the different celebrities they got behind them mm -hmm. and they lose. And so it was so it's this mixed messaging that feels n not quite like a victory, almost like a tie in a in a football game yeah. where both teams are at the end like. Oh, I mean, I guess I'm glad we I, played. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> exactly. So it doesn't feel complete. But the implica implications of that in terms of how government will be run, in terms of uh, maybe slowing down some of the progressively divisive agenda of this president, 
there is some some merit in speaking about that, and there is some merit about what's happened with women in the in the progressive wave that's happening with that as well, though. Xavier Pope here with me, Jill Hopkins, talking about the elections. And I, what kind of host would I be if I ended this on a bummer? I want to uh, shine the spotlight on some women that uh, some women, some minorities, some folks uh, making history in this election cycle. Uh, women make up only 20% of Congress, which is wild, because last time I checked, we were like 53% of the general population. There's many types of us, especially women of color, who have never been represented on Capitol Hill. And this record-breaking wave of female candidates in 2018 uh, comes with a lot of firsts. Uh, Michigan. Rashida Talib is uh, joining Minnesota's Democrat Ilhan Omar to become the first Muslim women elected to Congress. And All that, right. That's that right. means a lot Big in deal. the face of the way this administration speaks Absolutely. of women and of Muslims. And I, I'm just so proud of the two of them. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez over in New York is 29 years old. She getting it. A year ago, this woman, I don't want to say girl because she's a woman getting it done. She was bartending. Yeah. A year ago, That's and like right. you said she earlier, jumped into it. She she put herself into action. That's right. She said, "Let me uh, let me get this Congress," and she is now the youngest Congress person uh, ever. Yeah, ever. She's uh, not ever. even thirty, and I'm I'm twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nine. Yeah. Uh, I said earlier, I'm not uh, sure how. Well, I know how, but. We really should have had Native American women in Congress this whole time. Oh, absolutely. It should have been a disappointment. <laughs> Boom, you, you just get in Congress. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Democrats in Kansas and in New Mexico yeah. are, are making waves as the first Native American women. Uh, black women in Massachusetts, they got representatives in Ayanna Presley, and that's amazing too. Also amazing. Uh, Colorado uh, electing their first openly gay governor. Latina woman in uh, Texas. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, we here in Illinois are, are getting black women representation yes, uh, in ways that we hadn't before. What does this tell you about uh, what might happen in 2020? And that's why I I think it's there's reason to be excited. I know we're down about Gillum and, and, and Abrams, but it's the there are people of color, there are women, there are progressive candidates and people in office that we can look to and say hey there 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 has been progress and we've saw people from non-traditional backgrounds get involved in public service and win and so and we saw so many people get involved in the election and win so now instead of focusing on everyone jumping into their respective respective corners in terms of people you know who can vote now target people who who don't vote. Mm -hmm. Target people. What are the issues that keep people not participating in politics? Uh, where how can you address their everyday needs and specifically speak to them to get them involved to support you? And how can you get them to support candidates in terms of 2020 or for a presidential candidate? I think it's really important and to get people engaged, keep the energy going like like this uh, new viral phrase, uh, keep the keep that same energy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so that's what it says. I think it's there's a, there's a mixed bag, but there is some hope uh, and particularly in some of the we have some regular issues that have affected us, too, mm -hmm. uh, with min, uh, with uh, minimum wage, sick pay. Right. Mm -hmm. Property ex tax exemption, uh, using funds for for marijuana and. For, yeah. for mental health services. That whole back page of the 
Yeah, the ballot. Yeah, civil rights protections in other states and getting uh, felons like in Florida the the right to vote. And so there are really some big gains that have been made in this election. And so we can take that away and 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 say, hey, if we get more involved, get more active, then we can see more gains in 2020. And that's uh, the kind of optimism we look to you for, Xavier Pope. That's right, positive over <laughs> negative. We have to look towards what what are we here for if we can't participate and make things better? That's what that's what America is all about. We should be able to get involved and know that there's going to be a positive result on the other side. Thank you for for that. I needed that in my spirit. That's right. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. That's right. Holla. Holla. Thank you so much for joining me.